The Literature Corner. And today it is the Reading Corner. You get to read whatever you want to. You know that reading, reading, reading is something that is very dear to my heart. Um, and I am determined for us to become even more of a reading nation. You can read a poem. You can read from a book that you are currently reading. It can be a work of fiction, non-fiction. could be something that you read in the Daily Sun, the Sowetan this morning. could be an essay that stuck with you from the weekend newspapers. Anything goes. Or maybe you want to perform a poem on air. You can do so as well. And, of course, we also know that lyricists can be incredibly good writers. Johnny Clegg is one of them. Writers like Simon and Garfunkel, their lyrics are often incredibly amazing. So you can also perhaps read the words of a song for that matter. As long as we are reading for the next 25 minutes or so, I'm going to be incredibly, incredibly chuffed. We do this about once every five or six weeks. And we should do it more often. I think the tradition of reading aloud for oneself, but also reading for other people, is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's why we have the Reading Corner segment on the Literature Corner. Okay, so give us a call on 11 As always, my standard apology, because I always forget to tell you the day before, to just put in your bag on the way to work a book that you can read from. But I know some of you are listening from home, so you probably have a book handy. And in this digital age, you may be able to Google something uh, from a favorite book. It doesn't have to be a book you're reading currently. It may also be a classic. Anything goes. I'll start us off nine minutes after 11. The Literature Corner. Okay, so I chose two Mandela-themed books that I took from my library this morning. The one is by Kate Sidley. And yes, Kate, I still owe you an author interview on this one. We will have you on the show. Uh, over the next couple of months, when it suits me and you, we'll we'll have you on. But I'll read in the meantime from your book. And it's a very accessible book, and it's a wonderful introduction to Madiba. A lot of Mandela literature is accessible, but a lot of it is also quite dense. And some of you may sometimes wish to buy or read or borrow from your library a book about Madiba, but uh, maybe you are intimidated by the authors or the particular book. 100 Mandela Moments by Kate Sidley is an excellent, excellent uh, start um, because it is so accessible. It it's really is a very good book. And I'm just going to get straight to the beginning part, which is about Mandela, the boy. <clears throat> it's on page 11, naming rights. On the 18th of July, 1918, at Mveso, a tiny village in the district of Umtata, today Umtata, a baby was born to Nosekeni, Fanny, and Khatla, Henry Mkanyas Yiswa. The baby's father was a chief and an advisor to the local king, and they were a family of some standing in the community, minor royalty of the Tembu tribe. This new baby would grow up in the royal household, although he was not in line to the throne. The child was named Khorishlashla Mandela. The literal meaning of the Isitosa name Kholishlashla is pulling the branch of a tree, but it is more generally understood to mean troublemaker. There's an old saying that a loved child has many names, and this was the first of many names assigned to the child by family, culture, and affection. The day he started school, the teacher gave every child an English name, as was then the custom. His new name was Nelson 
which he later speculated might have been for Lord Nelson, the great British naval hero. In his long life, Nelson, Khalishlajla, Mandela, both caused and experienced trouble and proved himself to be a great leader. So perhaps the names were well chosen. Madiba, his clan name, referred to the Tembu chief who ruled the Transkar in the 18th century. In later years, Mandela was widely and affectionately known by this name. Once he had been through the traditional Kosa initiation ritual, Mandela was given the name Dalibunga, which means founder of the council. His city friends sometimes called him No when he was a young man. Over time, Mandela became known affectionately as Tata, the Isitosa for father, and then Kulu, a shortened form of the word for grandfather. Old struggle comrades sometimes refer to him as the old man. The Literature Corner. Okay, and then she's got another lovely little vignette here um, called Of Donkeys and Dishonor. So you can see they're just like small little vignettes and they and they're wonderful you can imagine if you're a teacher particularly with young ones entrusted to your care how wonderful this book can be you can just read from it uh to a to a whole class or kids that are coming to your house in the afternoon maybe you can give this to granny who's looking after the kids for the weekend something to do with the children this is the kind of value that this particular book has but you can read whatever you want doesn't even have to be mandela themed right maybe you've got a novel with you a work of non-fiction right now poetry anything goes O double one double eight three O seven O two. okay so i'm going to read from of donkeys and dishonor also from 100 mandela moments by kate sidley and then chris i'm going to come to you uh, on the lines after that A young Nelson Mandela and the local boys were taking turns to jump up onto the back of an unruly donkey. When his turn came, just as Mandela jumped up, the beast bolted into the nearby thorn bush and he was soon thrown, scratched and bloody to the ground, much to his humiliation and doubtless the great amusement of the other boys. Mandela's autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom, describes how this childhood humiliation taught him a lesson. He wrote, I had lost face among my friends. Even though it was a donkey that unseated me, I learned that to humiliate another person is to make him suffer an unnecessarily cruel fate. Even as a boy, I defeated my opponents without dishonoring them. Isn't that a beautiful insight? Hey, from childhood? I love that. And then Kate goes on. It was just one of many lessons he learned growing up in the small village of Kunu. Mandela spent his time playing in the felt with the village boys, stick-fighting, gathering fruit and honey, catching birds and fish, walking the hills and swimming the streams, and tending and herding cattle. It was an upbringing that gave him a deep and long-lasting love of the land, much later during his years in prison. He would think back to those days and write about the simple pleasures of a rural childhood drinking milk straight from a cow's udder, roasting millies over an open fire. Mandela was to face many powerful and oppressive opponents. While he fought them courageously with full force, when the time came that he had the power, he allowed them the opportunity to come over to his side without humiliation. The Literature Corner. Kate, thank you for this wonderful book. And um, I must reach out to you sooner than I 
I think I had intended to. I just want to be in conversation with you about it. It's so beautiful. But let's go to the lines. Chris, good morning. Thank you for calling in. Eusebius, and I'm delighted to be able to chat to you. And I hope you won't mind if I read a little poem. <laughs> Absolutely not, Chris. What is the poem? And then go okay, straight for it's it. It's by a Canadian poet, not very well known, Robert W. Service. Okay. And uh, he, he uh, was fairly prolific, I think, at uh, about the turn of the last century. And he wrote this little poem called The Junior God, which uh, has a lot of lovely rhyming and clever internal rhymes and things, and then a wonderful punchline. Tell me when to start. Go for it. Okay. The junior God looked down from his place in the conning towers of heaven, and he saw the world through the span of space like a giant golf ball driven. And because he was bored, as some gods are, with high celestial mirth, he clutched the reins of a shooting star, and he steered it down to earth. The junior God, midst leaf and bud, passed on with a weary air, till lo, he found a pool of mud, and some hogs were rolling there. And in he jumped with gleeful cries, and down he lay supine, for they have no mud in paradise, and they likewise have no swine. The junior god forgot himself. He squelched mud through his toes. With the careless joy of a wanton boy, his reckless laughter rose, till... Tired at last, in a book close by, he washed off every stain, and softly, up to the radiant sky, he rose, a god again. <laughs> the junior god now heads the role in the list of heaven's peers, and he sits in the house of high control, and he regulates the spheres. But does he wonder, do you suppose, if even in God's divine... The best and wisest may not be those who have wallowed a while with the swine. And that's it. I love it. Thank you so much for that, Chris. I love it. The Junior God by Robert W. Service who is a Canadian poet, apparently. Yeah, I've never heard of him, but I absolutely love that. You can give a call and uh, you can read as well. It is the reading corner here on the Literature Corner today. 011-883-0702. That is the number where you can reach us. 011-883-0702. It is 18 minutes after 11. The Literature Corner. Okay, so, yeah, um couple of you are saying, can we also send them my voice note? Absolutely, you can, Sipo. We'll try and recover your one from our voice note number as well. I think here is one of them. Here's a song on Mandela Day about freedom. Like a bird on a wire. Like a drunk in a midnight choir. I've tried in my way to be free. And like a worm on a hook, like a knight from some old fashioned book, I have saved all my ribbons for thee. And if I, if I have been unkind, I hope 
I hope that you can just let it go by. And if I have been untrue, I hope you know that it was never to you. For like a baby, stillborn, like a beast with his horn, I have torn everyone who reached out for me. But I swear by this song and by all that I have done wrong, I will make it all up to thee. I saw a beggar leaning on his wooden crutch and he said to me, you must not ask for so much. And a pretty woman leaning in her darkened door, she cried to me, Hey, why not ask for more? Or like a bird on the wire, like a drunk in a midnight choir, I have tried in my way to be free. Leonard Cohen by Alistair Butchart. Damn! Isn't there anyone? Guys, I don't want to brag, but is there another talk radio station that can claim to have such an incredibly interesting, diverse listenership as 702? Ek The Literature Corner. That was just gorgeous. Abel, you've got to send that to me. I'll listen to that, like, alone in my flat later again. <laughs> that one particularly, even though we're going to podcast this entire segment, I want that excised out of the 30 minutes because I would listen to that specifically. Lovely. Love it. Hello, Lynn. Hi, Eusebius. What are you going to read, Lynn? I tell you what, I'm just going to give you a little brief background. I just think I found something which I think is really appropriate. Yes. I'm just going to read you the end of a poem by Chris Van Vaak, um, who died in 2014 Mm. at age 57 of pancreatic cancer, Mm. like Johnny did. Mm. And um, he was very famous, um, um, amongst other things, for writing a children's adaptation of Nelson Mandela's Long Walk. That's right, yeah. yeah. And um, so all I'm going to read is that, um, just, I'm just reading a, a little bit of background here. It says, in the late 17, 70s, when the country was in a very dark place, he dedicated a poem called Candle to his friend Kaplan, another Rivoli raconteur who died too young. Hmm. And the poem ends like this. Read, brother, read. Only the wick shines red now, but it is not yet dark. Remember, brother, it is not yet dark. I love you, Lynn. Oh, thank you, Eusebius. That was gorgeous. 
Such an important insight as well. Love Chris Van Weg. The other cool thing about Chris Van Weg, as you know, and you would have heard him many times, especially with Jenny Chris Williams here on 702, is he was just so good at telling stories, quite apart from being an amazing writer and good with children as well. I could listen to him the whole day. Oh, absolutely. I'm yeah. so glad. also appreciate him, you see, this. I love your reading corner. I think you, you're doing such a good job every, every week. And today Thank you, Len. very, very special. Thank you for your generosity. Hello, Dawn. Good morning. Good morning to you. I have a very short letter that was written in the Penny Love Letter Writer, a complete guide to correspondence in 1883. Mm. It's very short. May I read it? Of course you may. I'm all ears. Thank you. It says, Dear Sir, I duly received your flattering epistle and feel honored by the kindness of your regard but I have resolved to remain faithful to the memory of my deceased husband. I shall esteem you all the more for the honor you meant me. Hmm. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dawn. Thanks so much for that. Uh, my way too. Good day, Yusebiel. How are you? I, I'm having a very good day, to, to be honest. Besides the two brilliant guests in the middle hour, I'm loving everything that I'm hearing from, from you in this literature corner. What are you going to read for us? I also enjoyed that uh, program, particularly that song of Johnny Clare. Yes. But anyway, let me get what the paragraph I wanted to read. Yes. The Koi Koi and the Dutch. A new society drawn from three continents. Resistance by Gonema and Dora. In 1673, the company went to war with Kochokua, an inland group whose leader, Gonema, they accused often on shaky grounds of numeral assaults on Europeans. The second Koikoi Dutch war consisted chiefly of punitive Dutch expeditions directed against Gonema and other people on tenuously associated with his alleged offenses. This gave the company a fine yield of livestock and prompted numerous Koi Koi groups to offer their services to Dutch. In 1677, Konema concluded peace with the colony, promising to bring it an annual tribute of 30 head of cattle through the company did not always insist on street payment of the tribute. Konema remained overtly submissive to these congress until his death in 1685 or 1656. I thank you, Eusebius. Thank you, my way to Pietrus, good morning. How are you? I'm extremely well. You want to read from Shlumelo Biko's, what, his first book or, or the latest one? It's the first book, the first book, the one of the great African society. Yes, I've read that book here. He writes beautifully and he speaks as beautifully as he writes. What do you want to read for us? Go write for it. All right, thank you. It's coming from chapter 11, uh, titled A More Civil Society. I'll start from, I'll read from the, from page 221, a chapter starting as follows. The Rainbow Nation was founded on the principles that it should be a society characterized by 
parity in the veil of each men and women, as defined by the Constitution. To, to achieve such parity, the role of African customs, African customary law, and the role of traditional leaders had to be recognized not merely in the Constitution, but also by the broader citizenry as the unique aspect of modern society. This parity was supposed to start first as the foremost in the distribution of rights, and these rights were extended towards a distribution of opportunities to freely express one's liberty. President Nelson Mandela put it this way. We enter into covenant that we shall build a society in which all South Africans, both black and white, will be able to walk tall with, without any fear in their hearts, assured their alien rights to human dignity. A rainbow nation at peace with itself and world, our single most important challenge is therefore to help establish a social order in which the freedom of the individual will truly mean the freedom of the individual. Hmm. Wow. Thank you for that, Pietras. Makabelo, good morning. Hello, Pierre. Hello. Yeah, I'm going to do a, a, a poem that I did in 1965 when I was in Spanish 6. Oh, wow. Okay. It's an, Af- it's an African uh, poem. I used to, then we had inspectors, so uh, <laughs> inspectors will come to school so that we must yes. uh, do, uh, recite to them and be given some marks. Yes. So I was one of the people who represented the statistics then because I loved poetry. Yeah. My teacher used to marvel at me when I, 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 I do it, and then he chose me then. This is one of the poems that I love. I love that. So you had to make sure you were you were well prepared for the inspector. Go straight ahead. Read for me. The name of the poem is Amakeya. And this kadu van die berge, bos basket an alle kant, stana lien die hardies heisi op die grens van Kosaland. Stelmar, stelmar, stel babani, keep blank die avonster. Niemand zal verakentje slaan niet. Stel maar alles mammifer. Amakeya het belove. Toe haar man naar sterven was. Om die helpeloze kentje. Tot hij groot was op de pas. That's the part that I love. It's a long poem, but this is the part that I usually love. <laughs> what, did, what did the inspector say? Did you, what did you get for, for your mondeling? No, I was always at the top. Because I used to... To, to be so emotional when I recite poems. <laughs> I can see why the teacher chose you as the representative. <laughs> oh, my God. That is absolutely stunning. Thank you, Makabela. Going back many, many years when she had to recite for the inspector as a standard six uh, pupil. Harry, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Uh, my late wife wrote a poem in 1954. I'd like to read it to you now. Yes. Rambling meadows, brilliant green, oaks and elm forever seen, rippling river cool and clear, other lovers will walk here, and long after we shall die, with awestruck eyes behold the sky, and from their lips escape a sigh, just the same as you and I. Wow. That's it. That's lovely. Did you get it? I did, and it was absolutely lovely. What does that poem mean for you, Harry? Oh, my wife, my wife uh, passed away 10 years ago. Mm. 
It means a lot. Mm. Uh, I was going to tell you another little story about Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela worked at a law firm called Hellman and Michael. Mm. My sister worked at the same firm. Mm. And she said about him that he was a, a little gentleman because every time he went out for lunch, he asked the office girls if they would like him to bring something back for them. Mm-hmm. That's... <laughs> Uh, my sister is 91, by the way. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And it's those small little gestures that speak to one's humanity. Alina, good morning. Hi. Good morning, Mr. Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> Won't ask you how you are. Thanks for the opportunity, eh? It is only a pleasure. I'm reading, I'm reading from, um, uh, what you call, Equal But Different. Yes. By Dr. Judy Damini. Mm. And just the... Uh, the chapter I chose is from Coco Kacharya, and uh, for reasons that are personal to me. And um, I'll begin, right? Hmm. About Indian women, he added that the Indian culture is quite discriminatory towards women. Even if women are given an education or go out to work, it is not considered as important as educating men. For example, medical schools are full of Indian girls who do well and qualify. Do you know that when they get married, they tend to stop practicing as doctors? Often this is because their husbands want them to be housewives, to look after the kids. It is not uncommon to find qualified doctors no longer practicing. Indian women are held back by cultural norms. Although these women had ascended to managerial positions, some of them, they struggled to overcome the passivity imposed upon them during their early lives. The interaction between cultural values and the institutionalization of racial domination and patriarchy resulted in women growing up in multi-layered insular environments mm-hmm. where Indian cultural values became deeply entrenched. Passive role of women was just from a very early age as families strongly adhered to cultural values brought from India and the gender roles of male and female were rigidly demarcated within families. Thank you, Yesibius. Thank you. Thank you. And last but not least, one on the voice notes and then we'll end there for today. Good morning, Yesibius. I'm going to read from home going by Yakasi. Give me a whiskey. A muffled voice called to Sunny one night. He could tell it was a woman's voice, but he couldn't see her face. She was sitting all the way down at the end of the bar, and her head was in her hands. Can't serve you if I can't see you, he said, and slowly she lifted her head. Why don't you come down on here and get your drink? He had never seen a woman move so that slowly. It was like she had to wade through deep and make he waters to get to him. She couldn't have been more than 19 years old, but she moved like a world-weary old woman, like sudden movements would break her bones. And when she plopped herself down on the stool in front of him, she still seemed in no hurry. Long day? Sunny asked. She smiled. Ain't all days long. Sunny got her drink, caught her the drink, and she sipped it just as slowly as she had done everything else. My name is Sunny, he said. She slipped him another smile, and her eyes grew amused. Amani Zumela. Sunny chuckled. Ha ha. What kind of name is that? He asked. 
mine. She stood up and with the same slow stroll took her drink across the bar and up into the stage. The band that had been playing seemed to bow before her. Without Amani needing to say anything at all, the pianist stood up to give her the stool and the others cleared the stage. She set her drink on top of the piano and started running her hands along the keys. Here on the piano was the same lack of agency that Sunny had noticed before, just fingers lazily ambling along. It was when she started singing that the room go really quiet. She was a small woman, but her voice was deep. It made her look much larger. There was a gravely quality of sound too, like she had been gathering with pebbles to prepare herself. She swayed while she sang. First way, then a cock of her head before moving to the other. When she started to scat, the small crowd grunted and mourned and even shouted, Amen, once or twice. A few people came in off the streets and stood in the doorway, just trying to get to catch a sight of her. Stunning. Thank you for that, Sipo. Much appreciated. 19 minutes before noon. <laughs>